to begin this morning with a brief reminder of that why before I get into the weeds of the what. So I'm going to remind you of how this conversation began. I think in our time, uh, among those who cherish the Christian faith, there is a growing sense of frustration and futility uh, with the ways we think about and do church. Yeah? I'm one of them. (laughs) With our systems, our approaches, the way that we engage culture, whatever ways we've been offering this thing called church to the world, it doesn't seem to be working. At least not here, not in the States. Churches have been in decline for some time now. Yeah. It's easy to look around at some of the more successful congregations that are full on a Sunday morning and say, well, I mean, they, they, they seem to be having it figured out. But again, in general, the decline is happening. And this can't be all there is. There must be more. And I, and I think not everyone feels it yet, to be sure. Yeah? But I think more and more of us are and maybe just don't know how to name it yet. Some people in churches have opted to double down on the way that we've been doing things for the past 50 years or so. And obviously that's not us. I don't fault anyone for this, really. Uh, I think that those expressions of church were, uh, even are, good uh, for the time and context in which they were born. But while we will continue to see remnants of that old way for the next 20 to 30 years, really, I really do believe we are in the midst of another major shift in the way Christians approach and do church, the way we think about it. And for me, the fundamental why is that churches have been failing to make disciples. We've become quite good at making converts, but we are not making disciples. We've become quite good at selling merchandise. We've become quite good at filling event venues. But as I survey the landscape of American Christianity, I see painfully few people who have genuinely devoted themselves to following the way of the crucified Savior. That's my fundamental why. I believe the Spirit of God is up to something. I believe the Spirit is stirring us towards something new, something different, a fresh vision of what church is or can be. And to be very clear, I do not believe this is the end-all, be-all, the way, the only way. But I do think it's for this time, for this season, for this place. And I hope that as our children and grandchildren embrace this faith and enjoy it, that they too will mold it to their own context. Yeah? And so I told you what a church is not. Yeah? It's not a building that people go to to listen to a pastor speak for an hour once a week. Right? This can be part of it, but it's certainly not the totality. Yeah? But you know this already. So what is it then? If you strip everything else away, what's left? What are the most essential elements? What do you actually have to have? What do you need to do to be church? And so I told you about the ecclesial minimum, the absolutely minimum list of things that you need in order to be church. That's what ecclesial means, by the way. And I told you about three things, 
worship, community, and mission. At the end of the day, a church is simply a worshiping community on mission together. That's it. Everything else is just fluff. And don't get me wrong, the fluff is not necessarily bad, but it's still fluff. What's the essence? What's the minimum? And so I spoke to you about the four spaces of belonging, the intimate, two to four people, the personal, six to 15 people, the social, 20 to 50, and the public of 70 plus. I spoke to you about how each of these spaces uh, serve vital functions for us socially and uh, towards our growth spiritually. They're great for fulfilling specific needs. The spaces that are most conducive, though, to genuine discipleship are the intimate and the personal, the small spaces. Again, I am not anti-big. I am pro-small. And that, in my humble opinion, is a huge part of diagnosing our discipleship problem here in the States. It, it is that churches have placed such a heavy emphasis on the public space at the detriment of the other spaces. And so I pro proposed to you at the time, what if we flipped the script? What if, rather than devoting the vast majority of our time, our energy, and our resources to creating a vibrant public space, the large Sunday gathering, we put that same effort and emphasis into fostering healthy small spaces where discipleship can take place. What if the main thing that we do was not a large gathering, but the smaller spaces devoted to genuine discipleship? And this brings us to our first question for the morning. Why now? Why now? And to this, I must respond, why now as opposed to what? Six months from now, a year from now, three years from now, 10 further out than that? And I think regardless of which, my primary reason is simply this, because I believe it is what the Spirit is leading us into. Yeah, that's my number one. As for the rest, it's really a matter of sustainability. Regardless of when we do this, it will present the same challenges. Our team will still struggle to maintain this weekly service. I will still have a really hard time convincing people that this is the way forward. We will still lose families we've come to know, love, and poured so much of ourselves into. There will still be heartbreak. We will still have to work through the minutia of how it all works. Regardless of when we do it, those things are still true. The big difference between right now and those other times is that right now we have the resources to pivot and experiment. Resources equal time. And I don't want to waste that precious gift. The reality is, and I really do believe this, that the change is coming. It is coming, whether we are ready for it or not. Uh, this nation is becoming more and more secular, more and more post-Christian. This is coming. This is a solution. And I would rather us be ready for it. I'd rather our people be resources for the new communities that will form in the years ahead. I'd like for our people to be the salt and light in a world that needs them to be. That's why. Now, 
I think if we wait, it's too late. It might feel too early, but I think if we wait, it'll be too late. So the next question, why not both? Why not keep the weekly service like we have it now and just add the weekly microchurch? For starters, because it is unsustainable. But mostly because that's not flipping the script, right? If I tell you that what I care about is being and making disciples of Jesus Christ, the most obvious way that I can put my money where my mouth is is to elevate the spaces which are most conducive to that task. Yeah? The solution to just add small groups is what the vast majority of churches have been trying to do for the past 30 years. Because they've all realized as well that this is not a good space for discipleship. There have been so many surveys, conversations with pastors all over the nation. And time and again, the one thing they say is the thing that's the most discouraging, the hardest, is that it's some variation of, I don't feel like we're making any real disciples. Just about every pastor feels this. The thing is, it's not working for them either, adding small groups. In churches where small groups have been extremely successful, they've rarely, if ever, had more than approximately a 30 to 33% adoption rate because it's still an extra optional thing instead of the main thing. I want discipleship and formation to be the main thing we are about and not an extra optional thing. I want to do away with this false notion that one can be a convert and not a disciple. And that stings a lot of people. It's not optional. Next question. So what about accountability and structure? Who leads these things? What will our pastors be doing? What about heresy? And first off, this is going to be a network, right? These are not just independent things that we're sending out and saying, all right, you're on your own. No, this is a network. We are joined at the heart. We'll be on the same page. And the people who are leading these spaces are pastoring these spaces. And those people are all selected and trained, equipped to do this. Anyone that is added to that list of people will be discerned, selected, trained, equipped, and sent out. Simple as that. And the accountability will always be there. Okay? That's how all of the, the, the potential issues that can come up, they're handled through accountability and processes for accountability. We don't cover things up. We expose them whenever they, whenever they need to be exposed. We don't keep people in leadership that don't need to be in leadership. We remove them. We don't make excuses on national television or international news about why so-and-so pastor was in somebody else's room. No. It's not how we roll. How will kids and youth ministry be different than it is now? What about kids and youth? How does it not become burnout amongst the microchurches? So one of the more challenging things 
for every church, mind you, about a Sunday morning large gathering is what? Children. That's true here. It's true down the road and down the road and over there and also in Alaska and California, everywhere. It's true. The hard part is children. I hate that. I hate that our kids become a problem, right? I really think part of what we're trying to do here is to, in changing the way we think about and do church, is, is honestly, a lot of it is changing the way we think about uh, raising our children and teaching them and instruct them in the faith, right? Not that what we've done is bad. I think that our lessons and our time there with those kids on Sunday mornings is great. Honestly, I think they're getting the best in town because uh, they are learning. They're learning the story and they are learning the disciplines for formation. But how will uh, caring for children in these smaller spaces not become burnout just like it is everywhere else? Yeah. And to that, I will say, number one, I don't know. I think you just have to change the way you think about it, for starters. Yeah. They're not a problem. They're not a burden. But number two, we are changing the way we, we disciple children. Children, no matter the age, that are following Jesus do not have less spirit than you. <laughs> yeah? Sometimes if you let them, they'll kind of shock you with the insight, the action, the questions they have. Often questions that you're afraid to ask, they'll ask. Because the world hadn't got a hold of them yet. So this particular thing will be, honestly, on a group-by-group -group basis. Some microchurches will have lots of children. Some will have none or very few. And so we're not going to give a blanket, this is what you do. Yeah? But what we are giving is a gist, a summary. Here's what we want to see happen with kids. How do you work that out? How do you make that work in your space, in your context? How do you lead, right? And again, we're here. We're resources. We want to back and forth. And say there's one microchurch that says, hey, you know what? We tried this last week, and it was awesome. That gets shared with the community. Hey, we're going to try that next week. And maybe it works really well, and we adopt that on a large scale, right? Uh, in the kind of the, the model that Pastor Devin and I have worked out as far as what we want to hit on a, on, a, on a Sunday morning or whenever these microchurches meet uh, is we want to hit the things that are addressed in Acts chapter 2, verse 42. After, uh, really, Christianity was born, right? In response to the first sermons that were given, in response to uh, people deciding to follow Jesus, all, all, probably all Jewish, by the way, it says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to breaking bread, and to the prayers. That is what microchurch looks like. Yeah? With the children, 
we want to include them with in as much of the main thing that they are willing to and want to, right? So in a typical microchurch setting, maybe you begin with a meal. Yeah, kids are included with that. Maybe you move into a time of worship and song. Kids are included in that, right? We do those things just like we do here with our kids with us during worship time. It's not to give the, the classroom workers a break. It's because we believe that the, the primary way that you instruct your children is through modeling, is when they see you. I was standing in the back uh, watching for, for people to, to come, in, come in late today. And Olivia, my little girl, she asked me, Daddy, can I do the lights today? It seems so small. And I could have said, no, 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 go on, sit down. But she got to be included, and it made her feel very special. That seems like nothing, but it was huge to her. She was smiling so big. And I stood back there, and I watched in the back, and I see Nisa and Rachel holding hands and swinging and worshiping together. That's what I want. But after those times, if, it's, if it makes the most sense for your microchurch to split, to have an adult-specific teaching and a kid-specific teaching, then that's what we'll do. You know, that's, we have a model for that that we've put out and, and, and the people who are leading these spaces are aware of. Uh, you know, and, it, and it's short for the kids, right? The vast majority of their time is structured play. Uh, but it might involve reciting the Beatitudes together every week and then listening to a Bible story and then asking questions. And if they have no questions, you move on. That's it. Nothing more is necessary. But if they do have questions, they get rewarded with candy. We don't reward answers. We reward questions. I think that was PD's idea. It's like, yes. Very good. I like that. Uh, but yeah, I want, I want to silo people as little as possible. What do I mean? I, w- I want people split up in age-specific groups as little as we possibly can. Because that's not what families look like. When you have dinner in the evening with your family, do you send the kids to another room? No. You do everything that you do as a family with your family. Right? That's what families look like. That's what families do. At the same time, sometimes it is appropriate to have age-specific things. And so we make a space for that when necessary. Like with our youth. I actually do think that youth need their own space. They are going through a unique time of transition in their lives. Where they are in between everything. And everything sucks. (laughs) Yeah? A lot of things change for them. They don't know what to make of it, and they need that space. They need, predominantly, they need their parents to be the priests of their home, and we want to equip people to do that from day one. But kids also need a space to be around each other, these youth. And so to that end, we're going to have uh, Wednesday night youth services, youth times, youth uh, lessons and games and everything every single week, okay? That will come back. Basically, what they've done on Sunday mornings will move to Wednesday nights, yeah? 
Uh, plus some other things, fun, food, things like that. Uh, next, we have some questions about method uh, or how this actually looks week to week. Uh, number one, will we ever meet for the big services again? You know, one of the things I heard a lot early on was, wait, we're not having church anymore? So, no, that's not the case. I'm trying to teach you how to think about and do this differently. But we are going to continue to have meetings in this space at least once per month. We will be on a four-week cycle of sorts at first, where the first Sunday of every month, we are all here. All of our microchurches, all of the network of microchurches that are meeting separately, that are scattered, they all gather here for a celebration service. Yeah? Week two, we meet in microchurches. A note on that, by the way. We're calling these microchurches, not small groups, not life groups, not house churches, not home groups, not anything like that. It's microchurches. Number one, because it is church. Yeah? It is the ecclesial minimum. Uh, and number two, because they are not confined to homes. I don't really care where these things happen. I want them to happen where it makes sense for them to happen. Maybe it makes sense for you if you feel so led to host microchurch at your workplace on Wednesdays over lunch. You know, uh, maybe it makes sense for you to do it at a local bar or at a prison, whatever. Where do you feel led? It's like uh, our reading this morning from Revelation. It says that he's made us priests in the kingdom. That's not talking about me. It's talking about all of you. Yeah? There is no more elite class, if you will. So yeah, week two, microchurches. Week three, we are on mission. Yeah? At first, because I do not expect our microchurch leaders to immediately uh, have an idea of where they, where they sense they are being led to and, and coordinating all of that stuff, we're going to provide that at first. Six months to a year. And who knows, maybe we just keep doing that because it's so successful. Yeah? We are going to focus the vast majority at first of our missional efforts here at this club and here in Alma. Right? I meet with the mayor every other Thursday morning. Say, hey, what do you got going on? How can we help? How can we serve? Right? I don't need recognition for it. I'd rather not even be known. We just want to serve. Hey, Elena, what needs to happen here at the club? Right? There's plenty to do. And in that space of serving, relationships become possible. Now, you're, you're going to be around people that you wouldn't normally be around. And who knows what happens there? Uh, week four, we're back in microchurches. So if you're keeping count, it's twice a month while we're doing microchurch. Once a month here, once a month uh, on mission together. There will be, there'll be times, I said at least once a month, so uh, there will be times where we have like a five-week month and something looks different or uh, 
there's a special occasion or a service, like say Easter Sunday doesn't fall on the first Sunday of the month, we're going to be here for that too. Yeah? Uh, how is this different from a life group? What happens at microchurch? Uh, for one, again, like I said, this is church. Microchurches are church. They're not life groups. Uh, life groups and things like that, small groups, whatever, they often have an emphasis, right? We're just focused on discipleship or we're just focused on being together and having food and playing games, right? Community or, or discipleship or whatever. Uh, microchurches focus on all three, right? They're, they cover all three of the ecclesial minimum. Uh, who will be in our microchurch? Can we change groups? How long are we planning to stay with the people in our group? First of all, a big part of the point of this is multiplication, right? The four or five microchurches that we start with aren't the only ones we're ever going to have. Uh, the idea is that through these spaces, through being discipled and, and, form, and spiritually formed, uh, I think that when someone is, is taken along that path intentionally, it is very natural for them to sense the Spirit leading them somewhere else. Uh, it's like, you know, you look for certain things in your children, for signs of milestones and markers in their lives about where they are and how they're growing. That's one of the signs, I think, that you feel led to be sent out. Uh, so yeah, part of the point is multiplication. Uh, can we change groups? Who's in our group? These are invite only. Yeah, We've tried to make sure everyone who's currently at Grace Church uh, ha has been invited to a microchurch. Uh, and that's part of the challenge with this initial launch is that trying to find a space for everyone to go that's already we don't want to leave anyone out basically right in the future as the as these second third fourth generation microchurches are multiplied or launched out of these original four or five uh it won't be like that anymore it's about being sent yeah so how long are you together uh who knows <laughs> it could be a year it could be five i don't know uh, it might be that a microchurch leader uh, has a revolving door of, of new disciples that they've encountered and are bringing in over the course of 10 years, right? People come in and they get sent out. They come in and they get sent out. That's part of it. Uh, but again, changing groups, things like that, who's coming, it's invite only, Whoever you invite to your microchurch is who comes to your microchurch. Simple as that. These are not evangelistic outreaches, right? It's church is where the faithful gather to do church things, yeah? Uh, the point of church is for us to be formed, to carry the story, to remind ourselves of who we are, how we become a people, and what that means that we should be about. It is not evangelism. Evangelism happens elsewhere. That's when you're on mission. And the way evangelism looks is very different too, by the way. We won't get into that today. Uh, what about visitors or new people? How does it become inclusive for the community beyond our current members? Hopefully that's obvious by now. Uh, new people, as they are 
interacting as they come into contact with our microchurches. If our microchurches invite those people to their spaces, then that's where they'll go, right? Uh, let's say, you know, one of you feels led to start a microchurch in that apartment complex over there. You should do that. And we'll send a team, you and maybe your spouse and maybe one other couple over there to get started and find people and get going. Also, we will still have the once a month Sunday service that anyone can come to, you know. Uh, while the point of that space is also never evangelism, you are welcome to invite people to that space if you want. If new people is a big concern for you, I encourage you to walk that out. Yeah? Second, we will have another microchurch that's on rotation, maybe every eight weeks or so, uh, where it just kind of goes on loop. Uh, we'll, we'll, I don't know what we're going to call it yet, probably something like foundations, where people who are new to our community that maybe interact with us for the first time on a Sunday morning here in the club, uh, and, and they want to be involved with the other stuff, they'll, they'll go through this thing where they learn kind of about who we are, why we do what we do, and then we'll try to see who, who they can go with, right? If someone wants to invite them to their space, if they have the space for them. Uh, if not, we'll figure something else out. Maybe we just start another group. Uh, all right. That's all of the most common questions that I have. And I wanted to see if there were any extra questions from any of you this morning before we finish this part of it. So, so yeah, from, from people who are already here, uh, I've, we, the leaders of our micro churches, they're in the initial launch, we've, we've put everyone's name on a board and we just said, hey, yeah, yeah, I want to invite so-and-so. Yeah, I'll take so-and-so. I want to invite so-and-so. And we've just got everyone kind of in spaces, right? Uh, some of you probably have already been contacted. If not, you will be soon. Uh, you are invited to ours, in fact. <laughs> No, uh, you, you will be hearing from these, these spaces shortly, if you haven't already. Uh, uh, but yeah, you'll be invited to, to ours, actually. Yeah. Uh, anyone else? Questions? The launch date is June 12th. It's the second Sunday in June. So June 5th, the first Sunday of June will be our final weekly Sunday gathering here at the club. At that point, we move to monthly. Can you go into detail a little bit on what you mean when you say your group will be on mission that week? Like, break it down as simple or as elaborate as what you envision? Yeah, so at first, it's going to be serving here at the club or the town, whatever, right? Whatever comes up, whatever they tell us that they need. Uh, you know, things specifically at first, things that we can that we can work on for you know two or three hours together, uh, and uh, uh, and, it, and it not feel like there's a whole lot left undone, right? We're gonna ease into that. Yeah. Uh, long term, being on mission looks like throwing parties, <laughs> right? Uh, really, uh, there there you, you're serving needs either serving needs or you're throwing parties, one or the other, right? If you have a neighborhood-oriented microchurch where most of the people who, who are attending it are in your neighborhood or whatever, uh, maybe it looks like throwing block parties 
you know, every other month or whatever, right? That is, so of the four spaces of belonging, uh, the missional thing happens in the public, or not public, the social space, right? Those gatherings of 20 to 50 people. Uh, and so, yeah, it looks like throwing a party for the most part, giving gifts, throwing parties. Uh, and again, also meeting people's needs physically, emotionally, tangibly, whatever, right? Uh, so at first, we're going to ease into that with just serving uh, needs, Long term, again, it, it's going to be uh, on a microchurch basis, wherever they feel sent or led to, or as they are exploring that together. Correct. Where they feel sent. Yeah, it might be their neighborhood or a specific demographic that they feel led to, you know. Uh, like, I don't know, maybe. Maybe there's someone in your microchurch early on, you know, who says, you know, I really feel like this, this, there's this community, you know, maybe there's, I don't, again, very general, um, uh, survivors of sexual abuse, right? I really feel led to reach these people and just minister to them and be there for them. You know, maybe your microchurch adopts that as their missional focus and you focus on creating space to befriend those people, to serve those people. Yeah, uh, or maybe, maybe a year from now or whatever, uh, that person and another one say, "Hey, we're going to go start another micro church focused on meeting those people where they are." Make sense? Probably not. It will in time. <laughs> Does that help? Oh. I don't know if I did or not. Uh, our staff, m- myself especially, I become a pastor of a network. Yeah, we are leading leaders. Again, you are the priests. The people who are leading and hosting in these spaces are the pastors in the overall congregation and in their specific microchurches. They're the pastors, the, 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 uh, the, the bishops, whatever, like in the early church, right? Uh, excuse me. Um, and so our role will be as servants of the priesthood. We are here to train and equip new uh, microchurch leaders, uh, we are here for accountability. Uh, we are here to help solve problems, to help guide in whatever way that we need to or we can, right? We're also going to be leading microchurches ourselves. Um, and uh, we'll, we'll, we'll be responsible for like the foundations group and things like that, uh, unless somebody else comes along and says, man, I really love that. Well, cool, take it. Um, yeah, again, Looking for opportunities to train, to grow, to equip, all the things. Uh, again, I, the best way I know how to say it is that we are servants of the priesthood. We're here to serve the priests. That's you. To help you. To guide you. Does that answer the question? Not a lot of specifics there, but...
It is what it is. Anyone else? Maybe one more? Cool. All right. Uh, I want to close today with a fun little quick thing. Uh, I brought this up on Wednesday night uh, with our, our, our apprenticeship group, which, by the way, all of the people who will be leading these initial microchurches are people who've been in the apprenticeship group for about a year and a half now. Uh, I trust them all. Uh, but I shared this on Wednesday, something that I found somewhere that I thought, man, this is, this is what I need to, to share with people to help them understand. Uh, I just loved it. So one, four, two. One, four, two. One path, four devotions, two loves. That's it. What does it mean to be a Christian? What does it mean to do church? One path, four devotions, two loves. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. It's John 14, 6. This is our path. This is our faith. We follow the way of Jesus. That's our path. That's our faith. Four devotions. I mentioned this earlier. When the earliest Christians gathered, they, quote, devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers, Acts 2.42. This is our practice, the four devotions. The apostles' teachings, that's the scriptures, uh, to fellowship, to breaking bread, and to the prayers. That's our practice. And finally, two loves. Jesus said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and, and you shall love the, uh, your neighbor as yourself. Matthew 22, 37 to 39. We love God with all that we are, and we love our neighbors with all that we have. This is our mission. One path, four devotions, two loves. Our faith, our practice, our mission. Makes sense? I love that. I really do. It's just so simple and succinct. So, that's all I have for you today. I hope that we've been able to cover uh, uh, all of the, the most common questions, maybe even a few more. Uh, there's, again, no uh, awesome sermon this week. <laughs> but it's been informative, I hope, for you. And uh, again, uh, this doesn't mean that you're not allowed to ask questions anymore. <laughs> if you think of things, ask, right? Uh, maybe you think of something I haven't thought of. Your questions matter. Uh, yeah. So let's wrap it up today, shall we? My friends, thank you so much for coming today. Uh, again, I hope it was informative, helpful. And uh, again, reach out. Any questions, concerns, let's talk. Let's go have some lunch, coffee, whatever floats your boat. Cool? All right. Y'all have a great week. See ya.